Uh, we've been talking about Faith 365, digging deep. Uh, where is it? Digging deep, reaching out, wherever they do that uh, all the time. Where's, uh, anyway, we've been talking about that. And so I started looking at that. Uh, anybody who ever preaches will tell you, I know Lee was up here uh, uh, a couple weeks ago, and we always try to preach on something that we're dealing with. We're hoping that maybe it'll help us be better in this area. And so faith is one of those uh, areas that I honestly have a difficult time with. I, I got to be very honest with you. And so I started looking at it and I said, well, what is the opposite of faith? You know, what is the antonym, if you would, of faith? Anybody, name some of those, what they might be. Doubt. Doubt is one that came up there. Uh, disbelief. Denial. But you, that's good. <laughs> but the one that came out to me the most, and, and it wasn't in there, it wasn't even listed, but to me, I think the opposite of faith for me is self. The opposite of faith for me is self because I think I can do it. And you know what? Kind of the bigger the things are, I think God needs my help more. Right? He just can't handle it on his own. He needs a little Paul help there. And so uh, I've entitled this sermon this morning, Squeezed. I'm going to ask, uh, come on up, Kelly, real quick. So uh, I got to tell you why I'm doing this. I would usually just do this on my own, but this is my great way to just get back at Kelly for anything I need right now. Uh, so I have here a tube of toothpaste. Come on up. It's okay. Uh, so... Yeah, so it is right now. This is her fear. Hold that. Uh, I'll actually hold this for you. So here's a tube of toothpaste. Now, she told me literally before the service, and this is how she got this volunteer job. Uh, right now, she goes, I'd rather put a spider in my mouth than touch toothpaste. Now, by the way, isn't that a little crazy? Well, I just want to say right now, all right, I watch Naked and Afraid and all the kind of stuff where they eat everything, right? I do all that. I do Fear Factor. She would do Fear Factor, but she doesn't want to touch toothpaste. So, of course, she's got to be the one to do this. So, so here we have, go ahead and hold it, Kelly. Here we have just a regular bottle of tube of toothpaste, we think. So... If I were to squeeze this, if Kelly were to squeeze this in here, what should come out? Well, let's see, shall we? <laughs> Go ahead. Ready? It's toothpaste. <laughs> you can take that. That's a, here, that's your home gift. Thank there you. you go. Give her a hand. Give her a hand for coming up. Next week, I can't wait because Bob is going to probably bring up some toothpaste for her and have her make pictures of it or something. I call this the Toothpaste Chronicles. There's a reason that you'll see at the end, but it's because what happens with us when we're squeezed is what's inside of us is going to come out. What's inside of us is going to come out. So Jesus dealt with that. So let's look at this verse real quick. And if you'll go ahead and put that up. This is from Matthew 4, 1 through 11. It says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. 
But Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give to you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Awake from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and the angels came to attend him. Being squeezed is something that most of us face regularly, if not on a daily basis. The pressure can wrap itself around our hearts, and squeeze with a force that can literally take our breath away. These pressures of life, these external and internal pressures that we deal with every day, pressures on your job, the pressures of school, the pressures of deadlines, pressures of finances, the pressures of, of, of what others expect of us, the, as pressures of our own expectations for ourselves, the pressures of being married, the pressures of wanting to be married, the pressures of raising a family, the pressures that come from looking ahead and saying, what am I going to do with my life? And the pressures from looking behind and saying, what have I done with my life? Pressure is everywhere and it has a way of wrapping itself around our hearts and it feels like it's going to explode. But pressure doesn't squeeze the life out of us. It squeezes the junk out of us. All of that junk that is in our heart has a way of coming out. Anxieties, fears, impatience, frustrations, laziness, jealousy, selfishness, anger, and doubt. And the list goes on and on. Pressure doesn't put that stuff in our hearts, but it can squeeze it out of it. Jesus, as we saw, dealt with a relentless amount of pressure during his ministry. And the passage that we just read this morning gives us a window into some of the intense pressure that he faced and how he responded to it. Jesus was tempted in this passage in three specific ways. And the first way is physically. He says, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Christ answers him with the word. People do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. You know, in his commentary, Barclay describes it this way. He describes the wilderness. And I kind of like this, especially for those of us who live in Texas. Uh, it says, it lies between Jerusalem and the Dead Sea. The Old Testament calls it the devastation. It's an area of yellow sand and crumbling limestone. It has ragged ridges running in all directions and hills that are like dust heaps. And it traps the heat like a fiery furnace. Barclay continues by saying, a less inviting place is hard to imagine, but not for us because we have West Texas, right? And we've seen those kind of areas that are dusty and dirty. Jesus at this time was physically hungry. He had been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. Satan knew that he was weak. And this is the first place 
that Satan will tempt you and test you in your weakest area. Satan wants an easy fight. He'll come to you at troubles with your marriage, troubles with finances, trouble at work, trouble with friends, trouble with body image, or trouble with a past sin. But we need to realize that our faith needs to go back to the Word of God, just like Jesus. It needs to come back to the Word. There's a, um, a great story that I got to hear. Uh, Don Beebe used to be the Dean of Student Life at um, Westmont College in Santa Barbara, California. By the way, nice gig if you can get that, huh? <laughs> Being Santa Barbara working at a college. I'd, I'd take that one. That's pretty good. And so he had students that were coming up to him, and Bob will remember this because at Howard Payne, this happened a lot, but we would go to teachers sometime, and these students came to him. He had three students that came to him and said, we want you to disciple us. Would you disciple us, please? And so Don, being the wise man he, he was, he says, All right, here's what I want you to do. He goes, I want you to go back, and this re- week, I want you to read through Matthew. So the students went away and he came back. And he met with them the next week. He says, did you read through Matthew? They go, yeah, we read through Matthew. He goes, all right, now I want you to read through Mark. And he sent them back and did it again. And the following week they came back, great, great, read through Luke. Went back, came back. Now I want you to read through John. So the students came back. They came back after reading through John. And then he goes, now here's what I want you to do this week. I want you to read all of them, all the Gospels. I want you to read them all. The students went, okay, and they left and came back and did this. This has gone on. He goes, I want you to do that for one more week. And he came back, and so finally they come back the week, and and Don looks at him, and and he goes, have you guys read it? And he goes, yeah, and he says, all right, now I want you to go back and start again at the beginning. They go, all right, wait. You told us you were going to disciple us. He goes, you don't need me. Read these gospels. That's how Jesus did life. Follow him. Wise words, right? Wise words. We need to let Jesus disciple us. First, Second Timothy 3.16 says that every part of Scripture is God-breathed and useful in one way or another, showing us truth, exposing our rebellion, correcting our mistakes, training us to live God's way. Through the Word, we are put together and shaped up for the task that God has for us. Jesus still speaks to us directly today. You know, I always used to think, uh, how many of you out here, I don't even know if they have them anymore. I would hope they would. A red-letter Bible. Does anybody have a red-letter Bible? Do you know what those are? Remember the red-letter Bible? Those are where the words of Jesus, right, would be written in red. And I used to think that he didn't speak after he ascended. But he did speak audibly to someone. In fact, he spoke to my namesake, Saul, before as he became Paul. In Acts chapter 9, the Saul to Paul conversion, after the ascension, he says to Saul, I am Jesus with whom you are persecuting. And he said this in an audible voice. And what I want to say to you is make your life a red letter life. Let Jesus disciple you. Dig into his word. Let him speak to you 
through that, make your life a red-letter life where he speaks to you daily in that way. The second way that Jesus was tempted was spiritually. He said, if you are the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect you and they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Jesus again answered Satan with the word. You must not test the Lord your God. The enemy knows the scripture and realizes the seriousness of this battle. It is our responsibility to know the word. And this hit me. I'm going to be very honest with you and have a, a confessional moment here, if you would. Uh, I've only read through the scripture. I've been a Christian since I was 17 years old. And I've read through the Bible twice. Only twice. Really read through the Bible. That's a horrible testimony. Have I done studies on different books? Yeah, have I done everything? But actually committed to reading the Bible. Only done it twice. You know what the, the, the part that is more sad about that is? I'm actually doing good as far as Christians are concerned. Most Christians have never read through the Bible. They've never done it. They've read pieces of it. But as bad as I am, and only of doing it twice, most haven't. We haven't embraced the importance of the Word and what it is. Uh, there's a doctor I work, a lot of you know this, you saw this week online. I work with a lot of nonprofit groups in different areas. Some are ministries, other areas. And one of them I worked with was a ministry called Inner City Health Center in Denver, Colorado. And they were a medical and dental clinic for the uninsured. And physicians there were the ones who actually um, came in there would volunteer. And they're Christian physicians. Great. So the Christian Medical and Dental Association president Dr. Jim Smalley um, was one of those doctors, and I remember meeting with him to just confirm that he was going to be able to work with us and become one of our doctors, right? And I went into his office, and I looked at it, and like most physicians' offices, and, and honestly, a lot of attorney offices, his walls were lined with books, right? Just books all around, and magazine articles, and, and you know, just everything that was there, just just this huge reading uh, library that was there. And so I looked at Jim, and it's kind of like inspiring, right? You look at it, you go, Jim, have you read all of this stuff? And he goes, yeah, he goes, I have to. He goes, I have to keep up. And I said, so if I picked one of these books out anywhere, I mean, don't be cocky, you know, if I picked out one of these books anywhere, Jim, you'd be able to tell me what's in it. And he goes, well, I would hope I would. That would be good. And so I did. I went there and I picked out one. I forgot what it was. Lord, I couldn't even pronounce the book title, let alone any of the words. And so I opened it up and I just said, so Jim, what's this one about? And he knew. He knew exactly what it was about. And he goes, but here's what's real interesting, Paul. He goes, since that book, he goes, I got it when I was college. And Jim was like a 70-year-old man. He said, uh, since then, other articles have come out, and he goes, and those are over there in this area that actually talk more about that, and it, is, and it has gone forward. And I was just amazed at that. And then it hit me really, really hard. He had to know all these books, and I as a believer am called to learn one. 
just one book is all I'm called to learn. And I haven't spent the time in it that I should have. So we need to realize that what are we doing here? What is the real importance of what we have here? The battle that we have here on this earth is not of this world, but it's another type of of battle. Romans tells us, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Faith is choosing to live as though the Bible is true, regardless of what trends or culture says. I want to say that again. Faith is choosing to live as though the Bible is true, regardless of what trends or culture says. You know, even Jesus had these struggles during his ministry with the popular culture. Mark 2 tells a lot about it. Um, The leaders of the day would say to him, what is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive. Or others would say, why does he eat with such scum? Or they'd say, look, they are breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath. We have those same kind of problems today that we deal with. Social media talks about it. You can go on at any time. There's problems with politics and immigration and transgender bathrooms and scripture in the courtroom and courthouse and other things over and over and over again that we look like. And we think that we're the only one that dealt with these pop culture type of problems, but yet Jesus dealt with them. Jesus dealt with them all the time. One of the most frustrating things to me is uh, as a guy, and you will learn more about me in this, Bob knows a little bit, but uh, I was a former actor uh, in Hollywood. I met my wife, Julianne. Uh, She was a casting director. That's not how I got the job. All right, it wasn't, we, we, we dated and everything. Um, but I was an actor uh, in Hollywood. And so when Facebook came out, uh, some of you are friends on Facebook with me. And I have a pretty wide swath of friends. All right? I have a wide, I have my very, very, very Christian believers. And then I have my friends who are gay and party and others who are partiers and everything. I have all a wide swath of friends that I have on social media. And what really bothers me is that we are now, people are unfriending and not talking to each other, even though they agree on 90% of life because of 2% or 5% of the things that they don't completely agree on, it ruins their friendship. They can no longer talk with each other and they have unfriended each other, which by the way is a pretty strong word. I know we've made it a really cute word on social media, but that's a strong word. We've gone through life together. I've been there when your mother passed away or someone in your family, you had a child who passed away. Something happened to you that I was there for. I stood by my side. But because on this one issue we disagree, we're no longer friends. So the time praying with you when you had your operation, that didn't matter. We've come to that point right now. But the Bible tells us this. We are not commanded to go and change. We're not even commanded to go and save. We're just commanded to go and share. And let the Holy Spirit do that work that needs to be done. 
Let the Holy Spirit speak the words. I can tell you where I am as a believer right now is absolutely not the same place I was when I found Jesus Christ in Lakey, Texas as a sophomore in high school. You know who helped me along the way? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit told me, Paul, you probably shouldn't be doing this. And by the way, he still shows me every day things that, Paul, you need to look at this piece in your life. Are you serving me in the right way? And by the way, that is one of the reasons we came to this church. I'll say it again. When we came up here and Julianne and I came up to this church to visit, one of the first signs that we knew we were supposed to be here was a literal sign that was in the front that said, celebrate recovery. Because what that said to us is anybody's welcome inside this house. Anybody can come here. And you know what? We're not going to try to shove you around and change you. What? We're going to let the Holy Spirit do his work in your life. Amen? Amen. Amen. So let me tell you about the third way Jesus was tempted. Let me go back and say one other thing. I had the opportunity to be part of the Collin County Prayer Breakfast a couple years ago. And on this subject, Sheila Walsh had a great quote. And this is what it is. Christians are shouting answers to questions that no one is asking. That really hit me. Really hit me. We're shouting answers to no one, questions that no one's asking. But you know what? There are questions that people are asking, aren't there? There are questions that people are asking. People are asking, how do I get clarity in my life? How do I save my marriage? How do I help my child who is on drugs? How do I pay my bills? There's a lot of those questions that people are asking that we do have the answer for. We have the answer. We'll share about that in a second. Uh, one of the most important things that ever happened in my life, uh, Bob asked this question, it was a couple weeks ago in our class that we're taking, the discipleship class. And um, he asked, what was a specific time that you remember that there was a major change? Um, I went to the, I don't know if any of you have gone to it, the Global Leadership Conference that's put on by Willow Creek Church. Any of you been to that? It's a great it's a great conference to have it all. I've gone probably 14 years I've gone. And this one year that I went, um, Bill Hybels, uh, who was the pastor at Willow Creek at that time, uh, shared a story and, uh, about his life. And uh, at that time, leadership, as it is now, was a really big uh, speaking engagements. There are conferences all over. You guys have seen a bunch of them. And the way, if you've ever spoken at one of these conferences, and I've been able to do it a couple times, uh, when they're introducing the panel, you're standing backstage with everybody else, and you're kind of in a line, and they, you know, Bob Knowles, and Bob walks out and takes his waves and takes his chair, and then everybody comes out. So Bill Hybels is backstage, and I want to make sure I get the gentleman's name right. He's backstage with uh, Bill Cohen, who at that time was the Secretary of State for the Clinton White House, or Secretary of Defense, excuse me, for the Clinton White House. And so Hybels is here, Cohen is right behind him, and Bill Hybels tells the story that Cohen was giving him a hard time beforehand. And he goes, 
Hybels, you and your little leadership stuff, your little church thing and all that. He goes, you don't understand. If I make a mistake, it's men's lives that are at stake. And Hybels, without missing a beat, looks back at him and he goes, oh, if it was only men's lives. If I make a mistake, it's men's souls. Bam, that hit me. I was like, drop the mic, Uncle Bill, right? That was a good thing to do. But it hit me, it hit me so hard because I realized at that point, people, when I go out to lunch, that white staff may not know Jesus and they're going to hell. Right? Because let's be very honest. If we don't believe that, then why are we here? Right? We've got to believe all of it and just not pieces of it. We've got to believe it. And so it gave me a hunger to just share my story in everyday life. And those who've been out to eat with me know this all the time. Uh, it's funny because at times it's embarrassing, I'm sure. But I always ask my wait staff, I see you guys shaking your head. Uh, whenever they come up to the table, ask their name. And I say to them, you know what? Um, we're about to have prayer over our meal. What can we pray for you today? Just a little bit, just to put it in there, right? And to tell them, I love sharing my story. I'm, I'm in a uh, field that does not have a lot of believers in it that I work in, but they all know that I am. And I get to share that story. It is that serious. If it was only men's lives, but it's their souls that we're responsible for. Let's look at the third way. Jesus, the third way that he was tempted was egotistically. That's a hard word to say, by the way, egotistically. Uh, I will give it to you all, he said, if you will kneel down and worship me, Jesus tells Satan. Get out of here and answers again with scripture. You must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. All this I will give to you, all the kingdoms of the world. You know, Jesus was just starting out his ministry. All right? He could have been a superstar, right? He could have had his own TV ministry, jets. He could have had everything, right? He could have started, but Jesus wasn't that way. He was humble. His birth was humble in a manger in Bethlehem. His first miracle was at a wedding in a small town, Cana. And Cana's like Waxahachie or Ennis or something, right? It's a, it's a small place. Jesus could have gone to Dallas and been on TBN. But instead he started his ministry in a small, humble way. And his death, his death was one of a thief. His entire life spoke humility. He didn't take the shortcut. He didn't look for instant gratification. You know, we do that right now all the time, don't we? Our life is about instant gratification. Uh, you can look here at some of the infomercials. I mean, the one in the top, what is it, the top right for you all? That's the one that I watch all the time. Right there, I want that one. I want the hair and I want it now, right? But there's lose weight and, you know, just eat this or drink this and weight comes off immediately. Uh, you know you can get rich quick. You know that you can buy real estate and get rich. I don't know if you've heard that. 
but you can buy it and you can get rich. Probably in a month and a half, you'll have a big house and a boat in the backyard. If you do that, they have all these ways of getting rich. You can even get your fortune told and it'll tell you how you're going to get rich. All of these things happen. And, and we want instant gratification so much. I know I'm not the only one who's done this. How many of you have put something in a microwave and watched it? And saying, what is taking so long? What is going on? My goodness. You put it in there and you go, how long is 45 seconds? <laughs> is microwave time the slowest increment of time? I'm popping popcorn. Let's go. When I was young to do one of these, we had to put it in a little pan, right? And do it. And it took time. We never ate popcorn. Mom didn't want to get anything dirty and ruined. Now I watch a microwave. We're almost there. <laughs> we want everything fast and instant. But Jesus didn't do it that way. He took everything. He was intentional in how he worked. He didn't look for instant gratification. You know, we need to realize something. Life isn't instant. It takes work. Life is hard. Life is hard. Being a believer is hard. Billy Graham says it this way, is this quote, God never promised you happiness, but he did promise a life of service and dedication with little bits of joy throughout. And we all know, I think Bob actually mentioned it a couple weeks ago, that the derivative of happiness is happenings. It's depending on things is happening to you, right? Happiness is dependent on events that happen in your life that make you happy. But we have a Savior that gives joy from within. We don't need the right type of happenings. We just need to count on that joy and look for that. So, what was the secret weapon that we see through this? What was the secret weapon that Jesus used in his answering Satan, the scripture. It was the word. Jesus kept quoting the scriptures. He kept going back to Deuteronomy. And it comes up with a verse that was preached on two weeks ago that is a very easy solution that I want you to see it. It's like a math solution, right? Go ahead and put this up. Faith equal hearing equal the word of God. You want to know how to have faith in your life? It comes by hearing, and hearing comes from the Word of God. I'll even take it one further for you. John 1.14 tells us, And the Word became flesh. And dwelt among us. So faith comes by hearing. Hearing equals the Word of God, and the Word of God is Jesus. Our friend and our mentor, Richard Jackson, has a great, great saying that he does, and he tells all the time. He goes, Jesus is still the answer. Now, what was your question? You know, this faith ride of mine has been uh, really interesting as I've worked along, and it comes back 
the toothpaste. I know everybody was wondering, and poor Kelly especially, what is this toothpaste thing? I just squeezed it. He did it just to get back at me. Uh, when I was at a particularly bad time in our lives, we lived in Houston, Texas. Uh, and I'm probably maybe oversharing here a little bit. Um, but we lived in Houston, Texas. And uh, I'll just be frank with you. I was doing things that probably I could have used uh, CR. I was not living the right life. So we left Houston and moved to Denver, Colorado. And I had lost everything in our life. We uh, actually put our entire house of furnishings and everything that we had in storage. We drove a rider truck from Houston, Sugarland, Texas, to Denver, Colorado. And all we had in the truck, we had a TV, we had our clothes, we had a twin bed mattress, and we had our two dogs, uh, was Norm and Becca. Longer story, we named them after Cheers. I wanted to be able to walk in the house and go, Norm! So, so we named our dogs after Cheers. And we made that trip to Denver, Colorado. Once we get there, we live with some friends for about a month. Julianne and I, we, were, we were, uh, didn't have jobs. We got jobs. And we eventually got to move out into this horrible place and this horrible section of town. Just to give you an example of it, uh, one night we were sitting upstairs in the room that was Julianne and I slept on a blow-up mattress. Uh, and Jenny comes in and tells us that there's guys that are outside underneath and he just looks at each other and goes, dude, look, I just peed in their trash can. That's where we lived. It was the lowest of lows. And so I come in one night and I see my daughter there, Jenny, who's here today. Uh, and it's hard to tell this with her here. But I come in, and Jenny has one of our moving boxes, a small one, that's there. And she has cut out pictures from like People Magazine and Us and well, all these different kinds of magazines, right? And she has toothpaste. And she's putting toothpaste on the back of these pictures, and she's putting them on the box. And I probably stand there and watch her for... Had minutes. And so finally, and I, I look and I go, Jenny, what are you doing? Are you doing this? Is it a project in school or something like that? And Jenny says, no, Dad. She goes, um, I'm making a nightstand so I can put my lamp on top of it because I can't do my homework because I can't see. The father that kills you. That's how I provided for my family. So it was at that time that I started my walk back towards God. Just like the prodigal son, he was there for me. And I just said, I lifted my hands and I said, I lift my hands to believe again you are my refuge 
You are my strength as I pour out my heart. These things I remember. You are faithful, God, forever. You stand and sing that with me. I lift my hands to believe again. You are my refuge. You are my strength. As I pour out my heart, these things I remember. You are faithful, God, forever. Sing that again. I lift my hands to believe again. You are my refuge. You are my strength. As I pour out my heart, these things I remember. You are faithful, God, forever. Father, I pray that as we go into this time of decision, that, Lord, you will speak to us about places in our life that we're possibly having difficult with our, difficulty with our faith. God, as Pastor Bob is down here, Lord, I pray that people will come forward and pray with him on something that they're needing to get over in their life. Father, there's things physically that you're needing to help them with, Lord. Father, there are things spiritually that you're needing to help them with. And Lord, there are things egotistically. Father, there are areas that we are looking to ourselves to solve the problem. And you have the only solution. And so I pray that during this time, Lord, of invitation, that people will come. And if not come, Lord, I pray they'll sit at their seat, they'll pray, they'll sing, but God, that you will deal with us in this moment.